भद्रम कर्णे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षभ स्थिरंगुष्वागुंसस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदा स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवाह स्वस्ति न पूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्ष्यो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओ शाशाते Please repeat the first uh, mantra with me. Uh, I'll, I'll chant it and follow after me. Mantra number one: Om Itte Tadaksharam Idagum Sarvam. Om Itte Tadaksharam Idagum Sarvam. Tasya Upavyakyanam. Tasya Upavyakyanam. भूतम भविष्यदिति भूतम भविष्यदिति सर्वम ओंकारयेवा रोमन ट्रांसलिटरेशन एनीबडी एल्स वॉन्ट इट Yes there are 3 or 4 who want it here and a couple here is one there and one here then we'll collect it uh, when you go back so that it remains here all right so we have uh, studied the first two mantras and today we'll go on to the third one a quick recap of what's been done the upanishad said uh, that there are two inquiries which they are commencing one is the enquiry about om and the other is the enquiry into the self omkara vichara atma vichara omkara vichara enquiry into om the sacred uh, syllable om and atma vichara enquiry into the self now the enquiry into the self has been started what we started last time and what did the upanishad say the self has four aspects atma or the self has four aspects basically this is what's going to happen what are the four aspects of the self the self is consciousness you or i we are this consciousness 
And this consciousness, let's call it the big C, the consciousness, itself appears in three ways. It is experienced in three ways. The self, which is consciousness, is experienced in three ways. First is the, um, what I might call the gross self. The second one is the subtle self. The third one is the causal self. By, what do I mean by gross self? In Sanskrit, the terms would be sthulatma, sukshmatma, karanatma. What do I mean by the gross self? Not that the self is gross, but the self in association, consciousness in association with a gross universe, with a gross physical body and a physical universe. Gross in the sense of physical, not in the sense of being awful and messy, in the sense of physical. So, with the physical universe, where do you find this? Where do you experience this gross self or the physical self? That is in the waking state. In waking. Right now. Here is a physical universe. And here you have, if you look at yourself, you have a physical body. So physical body in a physical universe, this is how consciousness appears in the waking state. And that is called the gross self. And in, then again in our dream state, we have the subtle self, dreams, dream state. So these are the states. In Sanskrit, avastha. In the um, subtle self is experienced in the dream state. What happens in the dream state? It's in the mind. We experience a universe there. Things happen. There are people. You are yourself there. And experiences, good and bad, take place. But all of that is in the mind. You are not actually interacting with the physical universe like this. So that's the subtle self, dream universe. And then the consciousness, the same consciousness itself, it goes into the, or it is experienced in the deep sleep state as the causal uh, self. Causal self means there is no distinct subject-object um, uh, break up there. In deep sleep, it's a, it's a oneness, a blankness, where there is no distinct object, neither gross nor subtle, and there is no distinct separate experiencing self. So all of it is merged into an indistinct uh, blankness, or an indistinct uh, oneness, subject-object merged into an indistinct oneness. That's the causal self. And all of them, they are none other than this consciousness itself. So, the, if you take the gross self, uh, the sthula atma as one, and the subtle self as two, and the causal self as three, then the consciousness itself is the fourth one. This fourth one, which will be called Turiya. So, these are the four aspects of the self. Remember, the inquiry into the self started by saying the self has four aspects. So, what are the four aspects? One is the gross aspect of the self. What is the gross aspect of the self? Consciousness itself. You are, the self is consciousness. Consciousness itself connected with, in association with, with a, a covering of a physical world, the, the waking state. 
The second aspect of the self which we experience, consciousness itself experiences, is a subtle self, um, sukshma atma, which is found in swapna, dream state. In a dream state, that very consciousness itself appears as you the dreamer in your dreams and your dream world. And again, this very consciousness itself experiences this deep sleep where the waking and the dream are all merged. Objects and subject are all merged into one uniform blankness. So that is deep sleep. That's called causal, not casual. Causal. Causal because it is the cause, it is the um, where it is the cause of the subtle and the gross. They, all those experiences are merged there. The objects and the subjects of the subtle and gross universes are all there, but in a merged sense. Now, all of these, they are all names and forms. Nama Rupa, names and forms. The waking world is composed of names and forms. The dream world is composed of names and forms. And the causal experience is also names and forms, but not distinct. They are all merged into um, indistinct oneness. So these names and forms, they are not real. They are what is called mithya, false. In itself, consciousness in itself, other than the names and forms, other than the gross, subtle and causal uh, uh, experiences, what is it in itself? It is just consciousness. And that's the true self, the fourth. So let me repeat it all over again. What did I say just now? The inquiry into the self says that the self has four aspects. So, soyam atma chatushpat. Four aspects of the self. Right? Chatushpat. What are the four aspects? First is the gross self or um, sthula atma. That is, that obtains in the waking state where we experience a physical world, a physical world with a physical body. It is the same consciousness which appears as a physical, uh, in the physical world with a physical body, as a subject and an object. And then in the dream state, it is the same consciousness which appears as uh, the subtle self. The subtle self is, um, with with, it is entirely in the mind, the dreamer, and the dreamer's world in the dream. That's the subtle self. And then all merged together in deep sleep. That's the causal self. So the self has these three aspects because of various names and forms. But other than the names and forms, the consciousness itself is, is what is called the fourth aspect of the self. And these three aspects are false. This is true. This is, these are false, these are appearances, this is real. This is important. Because the, when you say the fourth aspect, consciousness in itself, other than the gross, subtle and causal uh, um, uh, appearances, uh, if you say, other than names and forms, other than the, these three, uh, the, uh, three aspects, now the question will arise, what do you mean other than them? Because the only way we experience ourselves is either this physical world or dream world or the blankness of deep sleep. Right? 
So what do you mean other? Can consciousness be other than these? Vedanta wants to say is that, that these things are all names and forms. They are false in themselves. They have no existence of their own. They appear in consciousness. They change in consciousness. They come and go in consciousness. They have no um, intrinsic existence of their own. Hence you can say they are false. What, what is actually there is consciousness itself. It's like saying, it's like a rope which is mistaken by some people to be a snake. Another person says, no, it's a, it's a um, computer cable. Another person says, no, it's a crack on the earth caused by the last earthquake. But what is it actually? What is the computer cable and what is the, the um, snake and what is the crack on the earth? It's not a crack in the earth. It's not a snake. It's not even a computer cable. They are all names and forms mistakenly attributed to the real rope. In the same way, so, so you can actually um, consistently speak of the rope in itself apart from what people have mistaken it to be. Similarly, you can speak of consciousness in itself apart from all these appearances in consciousness. So it is, it is conscious. One good way of looking at it would be the dream experience. The second one. You are there in your dream experience. You are a person. You have a body and you, you are thinking things. You are experiencing things. And there are people and there is a world. All in your dream experience. But we all know that the, that the person in the dream experience and whatever he or she saw in the dream. All of that was in my mind. The dreamer's mind. When you wake up, you know that. It was all in the mind. So, can you say that it is the mind itself which appeared as the person in the dream and the dreamer's world? Can we say that? Yeah, we, we, and that we, that's how we think of the dream. I, the person who was lying on my bed safe and sound, suddenly I imagine myself to be... Uh, you know, in the office facing a terrible deadline and uh, I'm, I'm missing the deadline, I'm anxious and, and then suddenly wake up. When I realize the office and the boss and the deadline and the poor guy working away at his computer trying to meet the deadline in the office, all of that was in the mind. Right? So the mind itself bifurcated itself into a subject and an object. Both of them are appearing in the mind and I am... I am um, uh, I am entitled to say, I, am, I, can, I can say with all consistency that it is the mind alone which appeared as the subject and object in the dream. And I am also very consistent in saying that, that if I, can, if I speak of the mind apart from the dream subject and the dream objects, why can I, why can I dismiss the dream subject and objects? Because they are not real. It's, it's the mind alone. Yeah. Why can I speak of the rope? Apart from snake, computer cable or crack in the earth. Because there is no crack in the earth. There is no computer cable. There is no um, snake. It's a rope. Because they are false, I can dismiss them. I can speak of the rope in itself. Exactly like that Advaita wants to say. All of these we can dismiss and speak of consciousness in itself. Because that's all that really exists at all times. Note one more thing before we go into the third mantra. In each case, in the waking and the dream and in the deep sleep, the consciousness, the Atman, the self, the consciousness, 
it appears in two ways as knower and known knower and known in sanskrit pramata prameya pramata prameya what do i mean by that for example in this waking state what the upanishad will try to tell us is it is you the consciousness you the self who are appearing in this waking state as this knower this person with a body mind you are the knower and that very consciousness which you are really you are appearing as all the things that you know after all what is our experience what's my experience right now let me report it to you i experience it as here i am this is who i think i am and here this is the knower i am the knower i am the subject and here is my known universe what is my known universe men and women animals and plants chairs and tables um, uh, planets and stars quarks and atoms all of this is my known universe what vedanta wants to say is you or i am actually this consciousness and at this moment i am appearing in two ways i the knower and my known universe this is already far beyond what we normally think of ourselves we think of ourselves as i am this much and here is a universe separate from me which i am knowing but what vedanta is trying to say is you are the consciousness which appears as the knower and the known here you are and all of this also you are it's a big point i'm making here vedanta from the very big uh, upanishad the mandukya upanishad from the very beginning assumes a unity of oneness of everything you are there and but you are also here all of it you meaning not this body and mind this body and mind is the knower and all of this everything else for you the known but both knower and known are none other than you the consciousness normally what we do is when we experience the world right now our common sense approach is i am the knower and this is not me the rest the known universe is not me it's something apart from me what vedanta is trying to tell us is you are both the knower and the known and the best way of understanding this is dream when you wake up from a dream when you are in the dream you are interacting with your friends and strangers and things are happening so you think that here i am this is my friend that's a stranger and these are things these are things apart from me but when i suddenly snap out of it suppose i am dreaming this suppose the class has not yet started i am taking my afternoon siesta and i'm dreaming that i am in a class when i if it, this is a dream when i snap out of it what will happen to me is i will realize this fellow and all of this are all were all in my mind i was i was imagining it all i was dreaming it all so the knower and the known are all in the uh, are all me the dreamer if you follow the dream example exactly that is being extended to the waking state also in uh, vedanta that's the claim in mandukya in the dream it's easy to understand why what's the difference between the dream and and what uh, mandukya is claiming the dream the mind projects a universe the dreamer's universe and the dreamer and in the interactions between them and it's all happening in the mind 
and that we all accept. But here, it's not the mind which is projecting this body and this universe. It, the body and the mind are, and the universe are all projected in consciousness. Right. So this is going to be, this is the picture. And um, what is going to happen is, the first, the first aspect, remember these are the four aspects of the self. What four aspects? Going, going further back, inquiry into the self is supposed to have four aspects. Chatushpat. So four aspects, four padas in Sanskrit, four aspects of the self or four quarters. This is the first aspect, second aspect, third aspect, fourth aspect. First three are experienced. The fourth one is not experienced. First three are appearances. The fourth one is real. Vedanta is very strange. We normally consider something to be real if you experience it. Why, why is this pen real? Because I see it. And Vedanta is just the opposite. It's false because you see it. Yes, in fact, one of the reasons they gave for the falsity of the universe. Why is the universe false? Because you see it. Drishyatvat. It's a... Um, uh, it's one of the causes given for mithyatva, falsity. The cause for falsity, the reason for falsity of the universe is because it is an object of experience. What's the logic behind it? And I was also surprised, thinking, how, how does this work? This is so bold as to be outrageous, you know. Our every claim to reality is because we experience a thing, it's real. And Vedanta says, because you experience it, it must be false. And uh, the self, pure consciousness, because it's not experienced, it's not an object of experience, it must be real. <laughs> that seems to be logical. Don't worry, it will slowly become clear. I'm not going to solve the, the problem for you right now. Uh, it, it works like this. That, uh, I'll give you a clue. If you experience it, if you experience it, then you are the experiencer and this is something that in your experience. In your experience means in your consciousness, right? Then you are the experiencing consciousness, this is an experienced object. Now let me ask you, what's the relationship between this object and the experiencing consciousness? What's the relationship? Are they two different things? They may seem to be. Or are they one and the same? The answer is, note that you can never experience this outside your consciousness. Always you experience this in your consciousness. Whether you see it or imagine it or touch it or whatever, it's in your consciousness that you experience it. If you cannot experience it apart from your consciousness, then you have no right to say this object has an independent existence apart from your consciousness. If it has no independent existence apart from your consciousness, then it must be in some sense dependent on your consciousness. Dependent on your consciousness, in what sense? Vedanta says it's like this. Uh, for example, this uh, wooden chair. The chair is dependent on the wood. Why? Because without the wood, no chair. The wood is the substance out of which the chair is formed. In the same way, this pen the substance out of which this is formed, you might say it's, it's plastic. Well, whether plastic or whatever, the substance out of which it is formed is your consciousness. It, because it's, it's just appearing in your consciousness. 
Again, a good way of understanding this is the dream. What's the substance of the people and the animals and the plants and the trees and the buildings you see in the dream? The mind. The mind. Because without the mind, there's no dream. Yes. Yes. My consciousness extends to the fire siren two blocks away. Mm -hmm. I can see the sun. Mm -hmm. My consciousness does it extend to the sun? Mm -hmm. Do I think that's yeah. correct logic? Okay. That might sound really outrageous to claim something like that. So this I, this. I, I prefaced it. No, no, right, outrageous. right. But it's good to good to push the because the Mandukya is difficult. Um, uh, one person asked a Swami that. Just a minute, hold on. It sounds all very nice, all pervasive consciousness. And I am that consciousness which pervades everything in the universe. Wait a minute before you go so far. I don't, I'm here. And you are there. You, the chair is there. I'm here and the chair is there. I don't even feel I pervade that chair. I can barely pervade one chair. You know, <laughs> here. I feel I'm here and I'm not there. How, if I'm, not, I'm here and I'm not there, how can I claim I am everywhere in the universe? Yeah. Because we clearly feel localized here. Right? Let alone a siren two blocks away or the sun millions and millions of kilometers away. So I'm here. It's nice to say consciousness pervades everything, but I feel consciousness only here. Where else is consciousness? I mean, how, how can my consciousness be there? This is the question, exactly what you are asking. You know what the Swami's answer was? Very simple answer, but very powerful. He says, ah, but here and there, are these both not in your consciousness? Look at what you said. I, my, I am aware, I hear the siren two blocks away. I am here and I am hearing a siren two blocks away. Two blocks away, siren, all of these are in your consciousness, are they not? Why we, why we get into this tangle is, we are firmly convinced, I am here, this is me, this body is me. And this body has a consciousness which is deploys like a searchlight to find out different things in the world. Advaita re reverses the whole thing. It's a simple switch. Always when you ask such a question, the best way to answer it yourself is think of the dream example. It will use, the Mandukya will use the dream example to answer such questions in the second chapter. But always use the dream example. So to answer, to, to answer your question by the dream example, in my dream, I hear a siren two blocks away. Now that siren two blocks away, is it in me or is it outside? What do you think? It's outside. In your dream? I'm saying use the dream example. In your dream. In your dream. Do you, do you dream? Yeah. yeah. So, no. Uh, in your dream, if you hear a siren in your dream, now I, you will feel I'm here and I hear a siren two blocks away. Okay, there must be some kind of fire or something like that. Now, if I ask you, two blocks away, siren, and you hear, 
is that siren really two blocks away or outside or all of it, the two blocks and the siren and you, all of them are in your mind. All of them are in your mind. Especially when you wake up, you'll say it was all in my mind. I am standing here and looking at the moon and suddenly wake up and think, oh, it's not night, it's just morning. I, uh, I was dreaming. Then the moon and the 300,000 kilometers between you and the moon, all of it was where? In the mind. Dream example. This is what is being said or claimed in Mandukya. In consciousness alone, all this is in, in consciousness. It's not like why it's difficult to swallow is we, we keep thinking consciousness is here and objects are there. But here and there, space, now and then, time, time and space and object, all are experienced in consciousness. Keep thinking about it. It's not outrageous? It's, if you get it, you will see it's the simplest thing in the world. It's actually the simplest thing in the world. But that's not the way we are trained to think. The common sense approach is, here I am, here is the world outside me. Why am I thinking outside? Because I think of myself, then what am I thinking of myself as? As this bag of skin and bones. So there is an inside and an outside. There is distance and, and length and breadth and weight and time, all of that. But if you take a stand on consciousness, I am awareness. Then this body and all of this and the space and time, all of them are in, in me as awareness. Step by step, that's why in, in uh, Upanishads, these, they were called vidyas, uh, upasanas. Various meditative experiences were given. Practice it before coming to an understanding of Atma. As a body, this is how you experience the world. Now it says, imagine... Imagine you are not this body. Just sit quietly and imagine you are the sun. You are the sun. How will you experience the universe? You are the sun. A ball of... Uh, um, humongous ball of blazing um, fusion reaction, giving heat and light, radiating throughout the solar system. And you have these planets whirling around you. Would you experience day and night? No. Billions of years would be a normal lifespan for you. The whole of human civilization would be a blink of your eye. <laughs> so, that would be your experience. Go further. Suppose, you, suppose instead of the this, of this sun, you experience yourself as, think you are, this, you are space. How would you experience the world as a tiny being in space or the world itself in you? The solar system is in you. The galaxies are in you. In, uh, in me, space, entire of the entirety of the physical universe exists. Now go a step further. Think of yourself as consciousness. So these are ways of changing your point of view. Thinking of yourself as the sun, thinking of yourself as space, these are exercises in imagination. Thought, thought experiments. But thinking of yourself as consciousness is not an exercise in imagination. Vedanta says it's a fact. That's what you truly are. Anyway, it'll, it'll become slowly uh, more and more familiar. Alright, now these are the three 
first three aspects of the self. This is the fourth aspect of the self. The first three aspects of the self will be discussed in um, the first, the gross aspect of the self will be discussed in third mantra. The subtle aspect of the self will be discussed in the fourth mantra. And the causal aspect of the self, deep sleep, will be discussed in fifth and sixth mantras. And the Turiya, the pure consciousness aspect of the self, will be discussed in the seventh mantra. This will be the self-inquiry, Atma Vichara. Atma has four, the self has four aspects. Atma has Chatushpata, four aspects. Prathama Pada, first, first Pada in third mantra. Second Pada in the fourth mantra. Third Pada in the fifth and sixth mantras. And the fourth, the actual point to be, uh, which Upanishad wants to tell us in the seventh mantra. And that will conclude the Atma Vichara, self-inquiry. And come to you. Remember, the first three aspects are known to us. We experience it all the time. And we know this. Whole point of the Upanishad and of Vedanta is to point out the fourth aspect which we don't know. Which is always there and we constantly miss it. When you know yourself as not the waker, not the dreamer, not the deep sleeper, but as the consciousness behind all of these, then you are free. Right now we are trapped because we think of ourselves as the waker. So the waker's universe is entirely real for us and we, we face this body and this world and this is our life. You had a question? Yeah, uh, like you said, like in the waking state, you got to think that you are a consciousness, right? Hmm. But if you apply the same thing, same logic to the dream state, hmm. wherein you are the dreamer, hmm. and as a dreamer you think that I'm actually not in the dream, but looking <coughs> at this from the waking side, then you're not really in the dream. Why do you have to go there? Just stick to what has been said. Right now, don't bother about what you're going to do in the dream state. That will happen in itself. Right now, we are going to think of ourselves as the consciousness which appears as this knower and as this world. It's a good exercise. Remember, all of this Vedanta we are doing in the waking state. Right now, we have no way of doing it in the dream state. And let alone in deep sleep, you cannot do anything. So Vedanta has to be done in the waking stage only. Okay, now let's come to the third mantra. Let us go ahead. So this was this is the big picture. What's going on here? Yes. Please sit. So, it's so interesting because um, all these things are happening without me in the dream state. Um, last year, uh, I didn't know that there is a ninth planet. They took the ninth planet away from us. Of course, so we only had eight. But then... This year, it's coming that maybe there is a ninth planet, but it's a very far away and very... So I didn't know about the ninth planet last year, but this year, I know, oh, perhaps there is a ninth planet. So this is going on, and I'm not dreaming yet, or perhaps I am dreaming. It's just so interesting that it goes on even though I'm not aware that it's going on. Yeah. So... The exactly the same thing could be said of your dream state also. Suppose you are dreaming this right now. And in your dream you uh, heard about the ninth planet not existing last year. And now the scientists are reporting that the ninth planet exists. 
and you are thinking about it. And when you wake up, the whole thing was in your mind. Okay. Yeah. This is what, is, what they are trying to say. The whole universe divides into the known and the unknown. But the known and the unknown, both of them are, aware, uh, are appearances in consciousness. Right? What we are trying to say... See, the, the stumbling block will be the dream universe, I dream it up. It's, it seems quite obvious. But this waking universe, are you saying I'm dreaming up all the galaxies and the cosmos and the ninth planet and the eighth planet? Am I dreaming it up? You as the individual, sir, you are not dreaming it up. That's not what Vedanta is claiming. But as pure consciousness, it appears as you, the individual, and as this universe. See, we are standing here and thinking that, am I producing the universe? No. That's obviously not true. What Vedanta is saying, this one is producing both you, the individual self, and your universe. So this one has to be first understood as what it is. Once you grasp the real self, the pure consciousness, then look back upon the world, it will make sense. So we'll just, let's just go ahead, let's proceed. Let's move ahead, we'll become clearer over time. Let's come to mantra number three. What is mantra number three? Now you can tell me. It's a description of the gross self, the waking. Mantra number three. Do you have the text? Yes. Jagaritasthano Jagaritasthano Bahishpragyaha Bahishpragyaha Saptangam Ekona Vingshati Mukhaham Ekona Vingshati Mukhaha Stulabhuk Stulabhuk Vaishwanaraha Vaishwanaraha Prathama Padaha Prathama Padaha You've got Nikhilanji's book? Yeah. Uh, that will not have the Sanskrit text. Oh. Mm, it is only the English text. The mantra, the translation goes, the first quarter, don't ask, don't look puzzled, what first quarter of what? <laughs> Remember, what are we doing? Atma vichara, analysis of the self. self. And what is this analysis of the self? What did, how does it start off? The self has four quarters. So now it's saying the first quarter. First quarter of what? The self. You say, what self? You, the self. You. Your first quarter, your first aspect is Vaishwanara, whose sphere of action is the waking state, whose consciousness relates to things external, who is possessed of seven uh, limbs and 19 mouths, and who enjoys gross things. Translation might not be very happy. And if I say it's describing you, you'll say, see, that's not me. That sounds like some alien creature. 19 mouths and 7 limbs and uh, who enjoys gross things, some kind of science fiction monster. That's us, as you will see right now. Okay. The first word, Jagaritasthana. Jagaritasthana means, if you... Translate literally the place of waking. But here it's not meant, place of waking is not meant here. What is meant here is consciousness associated with the waking state. This consciousness associated with the waking state. You, right now, 
you are awareness associated with the waking state. And this awareness associated or consciousness associated with the waking state divides it itself or appears in two ways. What are the two ways? Knower and known. Knower and known. Who is the knower? You, right there, sitting there. You are the knower. What is the known? All of this. All of what you are experiencing. This is the known. So this thing, this experience you are having, this is called Jagaritasthana. Consciousness associated with waking, Jagaritasthana. Now it will describe itself. Uh, the description of the waking state is given now. Um, knower and known. First, let's describe the knower. Who is the knower? The one who uses the instruments of knowledge to know this. You, the knower, the individual being. The knower, it says, it describes, the word used for describing the knower is ekonavingshati mukhaha, with 19 mouths. So you have 19 mouths. I also have 19 mouths right now, here. What are the 19 mouths? So he hasn't explained here, but it's, it's very simple. The 19 mouths are the five sense organs. The mouths means the, the portals, the, um, the places or the gateways with which we interact with the external world. So the gateways. The 19 mouths are five sense organs, eyes. You, you see forms, ears, you hear sounds, uh, tongue, you taste, skin, you t touch, you, know, you have the sensation of touching. So the five sense organs, um, eyes, ears, skin, tongue and nose. So five inputs you get from the external, there are five gateways. And there are other five gateways with which you uh, interact with the external world. The five motor organs, like hands and feet and tongue to speak. So five motor organs with which we deal with the external world. That makes five plus five? Ten. Ten. Now there are five pranas in traditional Indian thinking. Five pranas. Prana means the vital forces, life force basically. And that's divided into five. Um, it's, though for those who are interested, prana, apana, vyana, udana, samana. Prana, Apana, Vyana, Udana, Samana. These are five uh, aspects of the vital force. And they, had, they perform various biological functions in the body. You might say that they are not gateways to deal with the world, but they are the power pack. They enable your gateways, the ten gateways to uh, function. Our eyes can see, ears can hear, hands can grasp, legs can walk, all because of prana. It's a prana which is powering everything. So those five pranas are also included. Now we have five plus five plus five. Fifteen. Then the four internal organs, the four internal faculties. What are the four internal faculties? Mana, buddhi, chitta, hankara. Mind, which is thinking. Oh, what is he saying? And the, I'm trying to understand the classification. Mind. Right now it's going on. Mind. Buddhi. Understanding. I get it. Nineteen. These are the nineteen. Buddhi. 2 plus 2 is 4, buddhi, intellect, which knows when it clarifies the flash of understanding, that's buddhi. And the third one is ahankara, ego, the one which is saying I, I, I all the time, right now. So that's the ego. And the last one is 
chitta, memory, the storehouse of impressions. All that we know, all the impressions, experiences stored there, the, all the knowledge, whatever, the hard, hard drive, the hard disk in our mind. So that is the memory, the storehouse of impressions. Four. So we have five plus five plus five plus four. Nineteen. So those are the nineteen mouths with which the consciousness becomes a knower. This one. Knower. It has nineteen mouths. In Sanskrit, eko navingshati mukha. Twenty less one. Nineteen mouths. But here is the beauty of the Mandukya or, or the difficulty of the Mandukya. It doesn't limit yourself to the knower. It says you the consciousness, you also appear as the known universe. All of this. And the known universe here is described as Saptanga. The word Saptanga, seven limbed. The seven limbs refer not to you, this particular body, but to the physical universe. Consciousness associated with the entire physical universe is called here Saptanga, seven-limbed. What are the seven limbs? Seven limbs of the physical universe? Consciousness with the physical universe? It's, it's a very poetic way of looking at it. And it's all taken from another Upanishad, the Chandogya Upanishad. So, what are the seven limbs of you, the consciousness, in association with the physical universe? The heavens are the head. Your head is the heavens. And the uh, sun is the eyes, second limb. Eyes are the sun. And then the third one is space itself, Akasha. Space itself is the body. Space is the body, Akasha. Um, then um, the entire atmosphere, atmosphere, entire atmosphere, Vayu, is the breath. That's the fourth one. Then the fifth one would be, oh the, oh, oh, the oceans. The oceans are the bladder which stores the water. The oceans are the bladder. That's the uh, fifth one. Uh, then uh, one more is there. I think it will be mentioned here. Oh, the mouth. Fire is the mouth. There's a reason why fire is the mouth. There's a uh, whole way of describing this. So fire is the mouth and uh, the earth are the feet. So earth is the feet, the oceans are the bladder, the space itself is the body, the heavens, the shining heavens above are the head, the sun is the eyes, the, the fire is the mouth and like this seven limbs. How many did, do we have? Heaven one, uh, space two, sun three, uh, fire four, uh, oceans five, and then atmosphere six, and the earth seven. Basically, you can see it's trying to sketch the physical universe. Space and air and the planets and stars and uh, oceans and all of that. So the physical universe which we experience, that is sort of imagined as a big, as a huge person. All right, two Sanskrit terms. The knower, consciousness appearing as the knower with 19 mouths. Sanskrit term for this is Vishwa. 
consciousness with 19 mouths here, this particular body-mind is called Vishwa. And consciousness with those seven limbs, with those seven limbs, this physical universe is called Vaishwanara. I think one of the terms is used here in the first ma mantra, Vaishwanara. Yes. So Vishwa we have to add here or supply here. All those terms will be introduced later by Gaudapada. So Vaishwanara Prathamapada. The first aspect of this uh, consciousness, the self, the first aspect of it, the first quarter, first quarter of it is the waker and its waking universe, all of it together. The waker has 19 mouths, is described as having 19 mouths or 19 gateways to deal with the universe and the universe itself is described having seven limbs. Seven limbs is a poetic way of describing. It basically means this huge universe, all of it. This is the description of the waking state. Now, the point to note here is, they are not telling us anything new. They are just labeling your waking experience. Just telling you, here you are, the waker. You have got 19 mouths. These are your 19 mouths with which you deal with the physical universe. It's a physical universe. And this physical universe, it's described poetically as having seven limbs. Basically, space and earth and oceans and air and the sun and so on. Whatever, you can include everything in this universe. So, waker and the wakers, world, knower and known. In Sanskrit, pramata and prameya. Yes. What about the immaterial in the waking state? Like? Immaterial in the sense of mind and feelings and all of that? Mind, feelings, theories. Yes, we remember in the 19 mouths we included intellect and ego and mind, that's memories. Uh, I didn't hear the emotions actually. Yeah, that's in the mind. That's included in the mind. In, in the logic. Uh, yeah. in, in the mind, yeah. So the subtle body inside the mind, yeah. that's also included in the... So there is a subtle aspect in the waking state. Yeah, the, in fact in the waking state... All of them are there. The subtle and the causal are there. Mm -hmm. Right? Because mind and intellect and all, they belong to the subtle world. But they are definitely present here because without them, we cannot experience the waking state. So I am not only a body here, I am a mind and a body here. So the mind actually belongs to the subtle world. Yeah. The body um, properly belongs to the physical world. Right? And the body cannot function without the subtle. So the causal and the subtle are present in the gross. But in the subtle level, gross is not present, but causal is present. And in the causal level, even subtle and gross are not present, it's just the causal. But all three are appearances in one consciousness. That's what they're going to point out. Yeah. So this is the first mantra. Now let's go, first aspect, not first mantra, you should correct me. First aspect, first quarter of the self. Yes. Yeah. Again, I'll um, tell you. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm I'll, I'll just repeat it. It'll, it'll, you'll find it pretty simple afterwards. Um, in all these, uh, in, in all these uh, cases, dream example is best. Consider your own dreams, right? In your dreams, is it not true that you are there in the dreams? And there is a dream world you inhabit in the dreams. And when you wake up, would you not say that I was the person there and also the entire world there? Here also, what Mandukya Upanishad is saying, you are not only this person in a separate world, no. You are this person and this world also. But making the connection with the feet and the... Uh -huh. It's making the connection. Now, now the rest of it is, is just a poetic description. Why, uh -huh. What is the description? So the, I'm going stage by stage. What, what are they trying to say? They're trying to describe this. Just root yourself in this uh, experience you're having now. That's exactly what they're trying to describe. Otherwise, it'll sound like science fiction. What are they trying to say? I have, that you have 19 mouths and seven limbs and so on and so forth. It's exactly a description of right now, right? What we are doing right now, it's a description of that. You'll say, how is it that a description? Well, it says there are two things here. What are the two things? You, the knower, and the known, all of this. Okay, the knower. I'm coming to. I'm coming to that. The, the knower, knower, you got it. You are with 19 mouths. Okay. <laughs> You'll scare people. What did we study in the Vedanta society? Have 19 mouths. Some kind of science fiction monster. But we have 19 mouths. We're dealing with the world with 19 mouths. Now look at the world you're dealing with. How would you describe this world? So one very poetic description is given here. And why is this like this, seven limbs and so on? It's because it's actually quoting another Upanishad. That Upanishad is Chandogya Upanishad. There it's called Saptanga, seven-limbed. What seven-limbed? The physical universe. It's a description of this entire universe. What is this universe? Think of it from the point of view of a Vedic poet. It's the heaven and it is space and it is sun and it is earth and it is atmosphere and it is uh, fire and it is um, water and ocean. Now try to conceive of it as a person. So the heaven is the head. It's a conception. It's poetry. The space is body. The sun is the eye. You can just as well say, why not the moon? Well, okay, sun and the moon. But here, that's the, uh, this particular description is given in the... Yeah, it's in the Upanishad, so they stick to that. The, when this is seven limbs, it's what's mentioned in the Chandogya Upanishad. Alternative descriptions are there. This, what they are talking about, this Vaishvanara, this exactly the same thing has been described in the 11th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. When Arjuna asked Krishna, show me your universal form. And Krishna shows him the universal form. Universal form means... This entire physical universe as one entity. We are seeing the universe as, as a fractured universe, you know. Millions of people and things and elements and so many things happening. All of it together, if you could see at one go. So that is called the universal form of God. And the name given there is Vishwarupa. Vishwarupa. Here the name is Vaishwanara. It means the same thing. 
Vishwarupa, 11th chapter of Gita. And there the description is much more uh, detailed and vivid. Thousands of heads and uh, thousands of hands and thousands of mouths and thousands of feet. Um, as if a thousand suns were to rise, suns were to rise in the sky together, which Oppenheimer found it very poetic. He quoted it after the first explosion of the atom bomb um, in Alamogordo. If a thousand, if if in the sky a thousand suns were to rise at once, imagine the brilliance. That is the brilliance of this form. You may think, where? I don't see that brilliance here. It's got a kind of cloudy day out there. It's because we are seeing a slice of the universe. I explain it this way. Imagine, one of the problems in public speaking is, if 50, 100 people look at you, you feel nervous. Why are they staring at me? They don't mean anything. You just want to listen to what you are saying. But you feel threatened if... It's the animal brain. If you stare at an animal, say a dog, if you stare at it like this for a while, it'll either look away or it'll growl at you or something like that. We feel threatened if somebody stares. The normal way of conversing with people is you look at them, look away, and then you look at them again and you look away, right? If you continuously look at people, uh, <laughs> stare at him, it, it's normally seen as being threatening. Uh, I don't yeah. understand it. <laughs> it's funny that in, in, in the US our experience has been that if you don't do that, it's yeah. considered not paying attention. True, but in the US, even in the US, it's just that cultural differences make it that you have to look more directly a little more, but not continuously. You can't, you can't, you can't do, 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 do this. <laughs> that will be seen as threatening. So uh, the, the animal brain interprets it as a threat, because in the animal world, continuous focus is a sign of a, of a predator or something you know, that is going to fight you or attack you. Um, so, but what happens is, I mean, this is just uh, sort of um, diversion, but anyway, it's interesting. What happens in, when we were taught communication, public speaking, one of the reasons why you have um, uh, what is called a you know, speaker's nervousness is because the audience is staring at you continuously. They are not threatening you actually, but your animal brain thinks that I'm being threatened. That's why you feel nervous when people stare at you continuously. 50 people looking at you makes you nervous. Imagine 1,000 people staring at you. One of the most uh, overwhelming audiences I had to face was um, 14,000 people in Belurmat once. So there were 14,000 people looking at me. That's <laughs> but even more intimidating than that was once I had to give a very short speech to the assembled monks of the order in Belurmat, which was 500 monks, all my seniors and all... All, all staring at you. <laughs> so that was more um, intimidating than 14,000 people looking at me. But now imagine when Arjuna asked for that and Krishna says, all right, you will see it. Not with these eyes, I shall give you the eye of knowledge. Divyam dadamiti chakshu. I'll give you divine eyes, the eyes of knowledge with which you can see an integrated whole, not slice by slice, but little by little of the universe, but all of the universe together. What did Arjuna see actually? It's like, imagine all the people in the, in the world, 7 billion of them, and all those who have lived in the past, and all those who will live in the future, and all the other creature, creatures, 
dogs and plants and uh, the, the insects to elephants and blue whales and all. All of them together in one instant if they turn and look at you. Even the conception itself <laughs> makes your hands and feet go cold. You know? And Arjuna was terrified. As you say here, it, it, it blew his mind. He asked for it. But when he saw it, his first reaction was terror. He says, every hair on my body stands on, on its end. In, in the verses you will see. That's the reaction to Vishwarupa or, or Vaishwanara. That is in this, uh, in this Upanishad, it is described as having seven limbs. Same thing. Okay. Yes. I am the knower and you are the knower and, and we have the known universe. Is your known universe the same as mine? One thing about the Mandukya Upanishad, we can divide, debate that separately, but what the Mandukya Upanishad perspective is very interesting. It's always very close to your own experience. In your experience right now, there is only one knower. Who is that? Who is that? It's me. It's me. And the rest of us, we are all known for you. Right? right? That I am a knower like you, it's something that you are inferring. You're thinking, okay, he must be a knower like me. But that's not what you experience. You experience yourself as a knower and everything else as known. The rest is just, we are inferring that they are also knowers. But if, you, if, if, if I don't experience you as a knower, then you are real. If, because, because you said that experience is not real. So if I don't no, 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 you, you forget that. I didn't say it here. <laughs> I said it quite outside. Don't mix them up. That is an ultimate conclusion. Uh, you stick to your uh, experience. So, in Mandukya Upanishad, uh, one, uh, another interesting thing is, there is only one knower. Mandukya takes you straight to the theory called Ekajiva Vada. There is only one person in this universe. It will make you feel kind of lonely. It's you. But it's actually very close to your actual, the actual way you experience life. Yeah, the reason why we feel terribly alone is because you are alone. There's nobody else in this universe. You are alone, you think of yourself as a limited being and ultimately you'll realize you are none other than God and that God is the one, real, one knower in this universe and you are the only thing that exists. You're the only knower that exists. Everything else is a known in your experience. So Mandukya, I don't mention that, but it's, it can be scary when you actually probe these things will be revealed. Yes. That is what I was thinking that if at, at the end of the day, if everything is known and known, yes. ultimately it leads to that there is only one consciousness. Yes, absolutely. That is where it's leading to. Absolutely. Like. Certainly. Certainly. That's where it's leading to. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now we go into the dream state. The second one. The, the second aspect of the self. Fourth mantra. Dream state means we are going to study about the dream state. Don't go into a dream state. Fourth. Yeah, don't fall asleep. Fourth mantra. Swapnasthana Antapragyaha Saptangaha Ekonavingshati Mukhaha Pravivikta Bhuk Pravivikta Bhuk Taijaso Dvitiya Padaha 
Taijas is the second quarter, whose sphere of activity is the dream state, whose consciousness is internal, who is possessed of seven limbs and 19 mouths, and who enjoys subtle objects. Okay, there are a couple of words I did not explain in the third mantra. Bahish Pragya, externalized consciousness, or externalized awareness. In the um, waking state, our awareness is externalized. We are, we are looking at the external world. Compared to the dream state where consciousness is internalized, we are dwelling in the mind. Remember, here if you think a little bit, you will be puzzled. You see, if it is all one consciousness, what is external and what is internal? So external and internal with respect to your body. Uh, the, in the common sense approach. In the common sense approach, what's going on in my mind is internal and what I see in the world is external. And in the waking state, our consciousness is externalized. So it says, Bahish Pragya. And one more word which I left out was, Thula Bhuk. Experiencer. Bhuk means experiencer. Literally it means eater. Eater. Experiencer of stula, gross or physical objects. So in this, in this waking state, we primarily experience physical objects. People and things and food and you know the world which we experience, which we see, which we touch and smell and taste and um, hear. All these are physical objects. So stula book. That was the third mantra. Now we are coming to the fourth one. Again, in the fourth one, it's a description of our dreams. Third one was, this th third mantra, or the, the first aspect of the self, was a description of our waking li life. The second aspect of the self, Sukshma Atma, is a description of <coughs> dream world, our dreams. What is the description? Swapnasthana, the first word means, that consciousness here, in association with the dream state, is called Swapnasthana. Swapnasthana literally, if you go take it literally, it means the place of dreaming. But place of dreaming here does not mean the dream state. It means the consciousness associated with the dream state. What happens to it? It divides itself. You can tell us now. It's the same formula. It divides itself into, or it appears in two ways. Knower and known. Knower and known. Who is the knower? The dreamer. In the you, the person. Not the person who is sleeping in his bed and dreaming. In your dream, you are there. In your dream, you are there. It's like uh, nowadays in a virtual world, you know, in a computer virtual world, you can enter as a, as a character in the world, in that virtual world. In the same way, in our dreams, we enter as a character. We are there in our dreams. In our dreams, it doesn't... Just recall a dream. In your dream, it does not seem like a dream. It seems you are there and other people are there and things are happening. Right? So the one who is there in the dream, you... That one is the knower in the dream, Pramata. And all the people and things and events in your dream world, they are the known, Prameya. So it appears as two. The knower has internalized consciousness, Antapragya. Because when you wake up, you realize all of it was, you are, all that you are aware of were mental constructs. In our dream, when we wake up, we realize all of it was in the mind. So, Antapragya means aware of mental constructs, uh, internalized awareness. And this knower, you in the dream, how would you describe? 19 mouths. Again, 19 mouths. But remember, those 19 mouths are not the 19 mouths of the waking stage. 
the waking eyes, the waking hands, and the waking body, they are all there sleeping in, in, on your bed. They are not what, what is there in the dream. In the dream, you have a dream body. And you have dream eyes. Not dreamy eyes, but dream eyes. And you have dream ears. And you have a dream nose. You have dream, dream um, skin. And with those dream sense organs, you see dream objects. You hear dream sounds. You taste dream food. All of those things, same thing, just like the waking, it's duplicated there. So, you have these 19. Five sense organs, five motor organs, five pranas, and the four mind, intellect, ego, and memory. In the dream also you have an ego. I am, I am scared, I am attracted, I am enjoying myself, it's a nice dream, I am terrified, it's a nightmare. Right? When you wake up, so there was a dream ego, there is a mind in the dream, there are thoughts in the dream, there are feelings in the dream, definitely there are feelings in the dream. So you have an entire dream person in your dream, all generated by your mind. And there is a, this person experiences a dream universe. And that dream universe can exactly be described as like the waking universe, Saptanga with, with a, uh, seven limbs. There is a dream heaven and a dream sky and a dream atmosphere and a dream sun and dream ocean and dream feet and, and so on. A dream earth and so on. So only the names will change. Can you tell me the dream knower is called, oh, you don't have to tell me, it's there in the text itself. What is the term used? Taijasa. Your name in the dream becomes Taijasa when you are in the dream. Right now, what's your name, according to Mandukya? You'll say, my name is um, uh, Sarvapriyananda. And say, no, no, the Upanishad doesn't care about your individual name. You are functioning as Vishwa. That's what the Upanishad is interested in. In dream, you are Taijasa. And all of the rest, all of the rest, what is it called? Can you tell me? The entire dream universe? Hiranyagarbha, correct. Hiranyagarbha. Consciousness associated with the dream universe is called Hiranyagarbha. Yes. What else? Did I miss out anything? Do you, you should be able to explain each of the terms. Look at the terms. I'll give you the Sanskrit and the English. Sapnasthana, dream place. What does it mean? Consciousness associated with dream state. Antapragya, internalized awareness. What does it mean? In, con in dream state, we are aware of constructs of the mind, internalized, not physical world. Saptanga, seven limbs. What are the seven limbs? You can rattle it off. This is the seven limbs of Hiranyagarbha. Now there will be the seven limbs of Hiranyagarbha, the dream universe. The dream universe conceived of as a person, as a head and eyes and all of that. Eko Navingshati Mukhaha. 19 mouths. Tell me the 19 mouths of the dream person. Five sense organs. Five motor organs. Five pranas. Mind, intellect, ego, memory, chitta. Yeah, mana buddhi chitta hankar. So that's it. You have constructed the dream person. Pravivikta book. It enjoys or the dream person experiences what? What does it experience? Not a physical world but a world of mental constructs. 
it's called vasana maya by the impressions collected in the waking state that world is generated the dream world is generated by impressions collected in the waking state you will see many of the things that you see in the world experience in the world they pop up people and things they pop up in your dreams in odd combinations but they pop up in your dreams so the impressions vasanas which you take from the waking world they are the material out of which the dream constructs are made so pravivikta book vivikta means insight pravivikta means insight um those mental constructs are what you experience in dream and this person who experiences it is called taijasa and the the individual and the totality is called hiranyagarbha and this taijasa and hiranyagarbha are none other than the subtle atma the second part the second quarter of the self second quarter of the self the individual is called taijasa and the totality is called hiranyagarbha that's the second quarter of the self this is easy to understand because if i tell you you the dreamer and whatever you dreamt all the things that you dreamt in the dream all of them were you you have no qualms in accepting it yeah it was my mind which generated all that dream what we have difficulty in accepting is the waking state in the waking state we we don't it we don't we find it very difficult to swallow that i am all of this yes Swamiji, I have a question. If I'm not mistaken, it's said that karma is only generated. The fruits of karma are only generated in the waking state. Yes. So, isn't that a, a waking state-centric perspective? Is yes. Both really the same. Right. Then there really should be it's the same knower, it's the same actor, whether it's subtle or gross. Yes. Should there be karma generated in the dream state too? If if you take the perspective that it's all an experience it's all some kind of objective right uh, experience of of the, of the knower yes um mandukya that it would lead you to that that perspective but normally from i'm not not talking from the mandukya perspective a more more general perspective what they say is in our waking state we experience the results of karma and we act and generate new karma also in the dream state they say that we experience the results of past karma but we don't generate new karma and they say for example heaven and hell are like dreams like good dreams and nightmares uh, where just the experience of past good karma is like a good dream and experience of past bad karma is like a nightmare and you experience them and the results are exhausted but generally new karma is not generated and deep sleep is where for the time being karma stops giving results it's all there but it's not giving you any results so you have no experience as such of particularities that's the normal way in which they think about it now what mandukya would say is that mandukya dismisses all of them as false and the karma in them take your pick you might say in the waking state we experience and generate new karma in the dream state we only experience the reason might be in the dream state um first of all there is no continuity but that's only from the perspective of the waking state yes you are taking the mandukya perspective now you see a waking centric approach is the normal approach which is taken in advaita vedanta i was saying yesterday in fact advaita can be understood in three ways advaita can be understood in three ways one is srishti drishtivada the second one is drishti i'll explain 
drishti srishti vada and the third one is ajata ajata vada what does it mean it's in fact relates to many of the confusions we have regarding manduka it's a shift in perspective it's like a theory of creation yes it's theory of creation it's like it works like this and it's very related to the way we perceive the world our common sense approach to the world is for example when you came to the vedanta society you knew before you came into the hall that this hall is there and the swami is there and everything is there and i come in and i see it isn't this what we think when we wake up from sleep we don't think we are creating the world we think the world is there and i have woken up into it uh, there is my house was there my car was there everything was there now i experience it all over again i didn't create it it's there and i experience it world has been created by big bang or god and i come into it and experience the already created world so this is called srishti drishti srishti means creation drishti means experience drishti literally means seeing created world is seen you'll see yeah that's common that, that that's the just the way we look at it that's how science looks at it that's how common sense looks at it that's how we normally look at it but now consider the dream state in the dream state you're talking with somebody you're eating a piece of pizza maybe uh, and the pizza would you say that the pizza existed in the shop before you came and ate it the dream dream shop no you wouldn't say that you would say that when i dream the entire dream universe pops into existence at that point otherwise i could as just like the waking state i could put my the last piece of pizza i would put it into my dream refrigerator and say that next time i come back and dream i'll open the dream refrigerator and have the last piece of pizza doesn't work that way because there is no dream refrigerator apart from your dreaming and there is no dream pizza apart from your dreaming even there's no dream you apart from your dreaming so the entire dream world of the knower and the known it exists only in your experience in your dreaming so the dream world is basically drishti srishti you see and then it comes into existence or simultaneously with your seeing it comes comes into existence are you with me yes. none of this is very difficult because it's what you experience nobody says there is a whole dream world waiting for me i've had enough of you guys in the waking state i'm going to dream i have got a lot of stuff to do there a lot of uh, to do list is uh, i see i don't have time uh-huh. I have to divide my time between you guys and the dream world. No, the dream world doesn't exist unless you dream it. So you dream it and therefore it pops into existence. Its entire existence depends upon you dreaming it. If you don't dream it, none of them are there. Not the good, not the bad, nothing exists in the dream world except the your experience dreaming it. Right? advaita can be taught from the first perspective or from the second one the first perspective is when you teach advaita from the first perspective that's what we study most of the texts are in the from the first perspective world has been created and we are entering into the world to experience it um why is it from that first perspective because it's the easiest for us to understand that's how we normally think so how is it exp- explained there is brahman god who created 
Akasha, space and air and fire and water and earth. And with the combination of these elements, the worlds were created and our bodies were created. And we are consciousnesses associated with these bodies. And we are under the rule of karma. We are trying to liberate ourselves, coming to Vedanta classes. And finally, we'll realize ourselves as beyond bodies and minds, as consciousness, one with Brahman and all of that. So that's one way of looking at it. And it works. It works. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very much, it's something that you can swallow. It's not too difficult to understand. That's the way we think. When you say, God created the world long before you came in on the scene, in this birth. It could be, because that's what it feels like. If not God, science, uh, you know, Big Bang created the world. So there's a world apart from me. That's the first perspective. Okay, the universe exists apart from you and you come like an actor on a stage, play your part and then get liberation and go. That's the way of looking at it. It's a common sense approach, not very difficult. One professor called it Advaita for the dull. <laughs> the second one, Drishti Shrishti Vada, is, is Advaita based on the dream state. The first one is based on the waking state. The second one is Drishti Shrishti Vada, Advaita based on the dream state. This Mandukya, why it is difficult, again and again you run up against a hitch, is because the Mandukya is taking this perspective. Where the waking and the dream are taken as two different equal, equivalent. They are, not, they are, it's not a waking centric <coughs> approach. The paradigm here is the dream approach. One kind of dream is waking, one kind of dream is dream. In fact, Gaudapada in his commentary later on in the verses, he will say, there are only two states. Just a minute, you said waking, dreaming and deep sleep. No, there are only two states, dreaming and sleeping. Waking is dreaming, dreaming is dreaming and sleeping is sleeping. Waking is a kind of dreaming. <coughs> dreaming is another kind of dreaming. There are two kinds of dreams. So Mandukya takes that second approach. This is Advaita for the intelligent. Where <laughs> the entire universe pops into ex existence because you experience it. It is no other experience. In that case, you know what will happen? In that case, you are the only knower, you are the only being here. The, the only entity here. Everybody else is a part of, is a character in your dream. So it, it's pretty extreme that way. In your dreams, there are many people. But are there many people? In your dreams, imagine, in a dream, when you experience a dream, you see so many people. But are they really there? No. They are all imagined, they are all in your dream, they pop into existence when you dream it, they pop out of existence when you don't dream. <coughs> what Mandukya is saying is that this is exactly what is going on now. For you, this entire universe pops into existence because you see it. So that's the second way of explaining um, Advaita Vedanta. That's what you are referring to. That uh, a waking centric approach and waking centric approach is commonsensical, it's natural to everybody, we just think that way not normally. But uh, Mandukya is actually a dream-centric approach. It's a dream paradigm, not dream-centric, dream paradigm. There is a, yet a third way, there's a third way of it, there's a third way of explaining Advaita, even more advanced, I guess Advaita for the super-intelligent, the professor might say, it's really difficult, which is the third way, it's the deep sleep paradigm, Ajati. 
You see, all these theories have come because you have to relate your experience of the world to pure consciousness. We have to relate where does this universe come from. That's what you have to explain. So universe was created, then we saw it. First theory. Universe, we see the universe, so it appears. So, so it is. Second theory. Third theory is, the last one, what universe? In deep sleep, there is no universe to talk about at all. So what universe? Brahman alone is. You might say that's difficult to comprehend. You ask, what is, what is this then? If you ask, there, are, there were such monks. I mean, in fact, in one of the, I never met one, but uh, there, were, there was one monk whom they asked who followed the third one, Ajati. Ajati means the not born, not created. No universe has ever been created. Such a person would say, if I showed you the lectern, the person would say, what lectern? It's wood. And you cannot logically disprove that person because whatever you touch, which, whichever part you touch, it's you're touching the wood. You're not touching a lectern. What lectern is there apart from the wood? There is no such thing as a lectern apart from the wood. There is no such thing as the universe apart from consciousness for that person. One such monk was asked, you're saying there is no universe. He said, right. Then what is there? Brahman, pure consciousness. But then what Swami, they asked him, what's all this? We're sitting there, mountains and rivers and forests. What's all this then? And I'll give you the answer in Hindi and try my best to translate. He looked bemused and he said, oh this. Ye to Brahma ki laplapahat hai. This is the shining forth of Brahman. Like a flame flickers and shines forth, this is the shining forth of Brahman. It's not a separate thing to be explained. That's the third theory called Ajati, where which is the, the paradigm is deep sleep paradigm. So which one is right? None of them are right. They are all techniques to take you towards Brahman because according to Advaita only one thing is right. Brahman alone is real, rest, rest is an appearance. Now different prakriyas, methodologies are used to take you towards that. The easiest, so you should adopt the easiest one, whatever is comfortable. And it's most for most of us, what's comfortable is the first one. Yes. Srishti Drishti Vata. Universe is created, then we experience it. Then for whom are the other two? Why are there three approaches at all? Uh, according to the uh, Advaita tradition, the difference is in, uh, they say the difference in vairagya, dispassion, detachment. The person who has the least value and least investment in the world, doesn't care at all. That person can easily dismiss this waking world as a dream also. Intense detachment. It's possible. There are hermits and ascetics or even people involved in this world who can work fully in this world and are completely detached with it. Who can very easily use the second or even the third paradigms. And remember... Whichever paradigm you use, you, re you have the same enlightenment. You don't come to a lower grade of Brahman by the first method and a very superior you know, Brahman super by the Ajati method. Uh, all the methods, they will take you to the same enlightenment. Yes, there was a question. Uh, yes. um, what do you feel about dream analysis? Yeah. Um, when people use dream analysis to inform like, their waking moments. Right. Yeah, I'll make a point here because uh, it's, it's interesting why 
And it's natural this question should come. It will come up in our minds also. You know, we call this the method of the three states. Waking, dreaming and deep sleep. But actually it's not about the three states. It's not about the gross self, subtle self or causal self. What's it about? Pure consciousness. So, for it's not about what you experience in the waking. It's not about what you experience in the dream. It's not about the darkness of deep sleep. It's about the consciousness which experiences all of them. So when you say dream analysis, for example, dream analysis takes up what you dreamt of and what does it mean for your waking life and then use that to improve your waking life. That's dream analysis. A non-dualist would say, I'm not interested in what you dreamt of. I'm interested in the dreamer. Right now, see one, one, swami, one person went to a Swami and was narrating his problems and the Swami scolded him. Not interested in your problems. He was shocked. But Swami, not interested in your problems. I'm interested in you. Thereby creating a gap between you and your problems. What Advaita wants to do is, not the contents of the dream or the waking, but the one who is experiencing the contents of the dream and the waking. Okay? If you experience, if you realize yourself as this one, all your problems and your needs for improving the waking state also, all of that will disappear immediately. You'll be perfectly fine with whatever waking dream and deep sleep come, come your way. Because you, this one is perfect and free from all problems. Problems are at this level. The waking, the waker has problems. Financial problems, relationship problems, mortgage problems, parking problems, so many problems. Health problems. The waker has, those are the problems of the waker. The dreamer has problems. The dreamer gets into a nightmare. It becomes very serious, horrible. Dreamer has problems. Deep sleeper. Deep sleeper also has problems, but doesn't know them. (laughs) What's the problem of the deep sleep? The problem with deep sleep is invariably it will cycle back into waking and dreaming. So that's in the seed form. Gaudapada will say the problems of the waking and dreaming are all there in the seed form in deep sleep. So deep sleep in itself is free of problems. Again, these are not theoretical. I give the example of the person who is very sick and poor and dying. Maybe in, in, the, in Mount Sinai. If he's very poor, then won't be in Mount Sinai. Okay. Very sick and you know, like dying in Mount Sinai and all of that. When that person goes into deep sleep, no problem. You see, there is a problem, but he's not aware of it. I'm talking about from his point of view. That sick body is not there. The mounting medical bills are not there. Nothing is there. But the seeds of it are there. When the person wakes up, serious problems. All of these are not there in the pure consciousness. Why? They are all names and forms, mithya, false, appearances in you. They are all like dreams in you. You are not subject to birth. You are not subject to death. You are not subject to disease. You are not subject to old age. You are not subject to being dominated over or discriminated against or or you you don't have to make a living for yourself in a world. All of those worlds and things exist in you only. Once you get this perspective, the rest of it, it will continue, it will become fun. Even poverty will become fun, even sickness will become fun. A hard kind of fun, but still fun.
because you are not bound or limited by it. Yes. So this thing is about the waking and the dreaming. Hmm. It's it's possible to recognize that both may be similar states. Yes. But the waking state is consistent, continuous. Okay. I get the drift of your questions. In fact, and this is uh, Nikolanji's book? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In this... Is that appendix? Yes. I think in this one only. Mandukya Upanishad. Is Mandukya here? No, this is Mundaka. Yeah, the last part is the Mandukya. No, this is Mundaka. This, this is volume one. That one will have it. Yeah. That one will have it. This is uh, Swami Nikhilanandaji who was here in the East Side Center. So in his translation, appendix on volume 2, page 373. Her question was, you are equating the waking and the dreaming. That's not fair. Waking is a little more wakey-wakey than the dream. <laughs> it's a little more real than the dream. It has real consequences, real problems and real struggles. And the dream is just a dream. That's called waking centricism. That's, that's a bias. It's, 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 it's still not considered politically incorrect, but I hope one day we'll advance far enough to make that politically incorrect. You can't be waking centric. You'll have to be waking and dreaming neutral. Yeah. Well, which one? You are quoting the Holy Mother. <laughs> she, she was asked, it's very interesting. She was talking with Swami Arupananda. And, uh, um, Swami, and she said, whatever it be, my child, but this, this waking, which you are talking about, this is also a dream. He objected. He asked these, he put forward these objections. But it is consistent and the things in the waking state are there when you wake up again into the same world. You work up in the same world, same problem, same thing, same people. He says this. She does not give any arguments. She bursts out laughing and she says, Let it be my child. It is none, nothing else than a dream. And it's none other than a dream. Different kind of dream maybe, but it's still a dream. Now that's, that's what she just said it. And she laughed and she said that. But if you want to be convinced, you know, take up the arguments. Not only one argument here, very logically, Nikhilanji puts forth 10 arguments. 10 arguments why waking is different and dream are, is different. Waking is waking, it's real, it's concrete, it's consistent, it's stable. Dream is unreal, it, it's an appearance, it's a dream after all. It's unstable, it's inconsistent and so on. 10 arguments. And then he takes them apart one by one till it becomes really creepy. <laughs> you begin to you will you will begin to find the barrier between waking and dreaming dissolving when you read these. Page three hundred seventy four onwards, he just goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten arguments in three or four pages. I, I we can read it sometime later on when we finish the waking and the dreaming, and then we can we can compare. We, I'll take up the. Ten arguments and just, it's, it's very easy. Remind me next time. Remind me next time. Please bring this next time. 
next week so that we can we just read it out. It's very interesting to compare. It's a Zhuangzi, the famous uh, Taoist philosopher. He went to sleep under a tree and he dreamt he was a butterfly and then he woke up. That's what happens when you go to sleep under a tree on a warm summer afternoon. And then he woke up. Because he was a philosopher, he thought, am I a philosopher who dreamt he was a butterfly or am I a butterfly dreaming that he's a philosopher? <laughs> yes. Yes. So, Swamiji, uh, when you say that um, the three states that Atman is in is mithya, Hmm. Um, and you say it's unreal. Unreal. The reality is, you know, we experience it and we think it is. The reality is this. I get that. My question to you is those states that you call as unreal yeah. is because each of them are not permanent. One reason, they come and go. Second. Whereas the Turiya is the state of constancy. Constancy. Um, it, so if it's constancy, it's not a state. States come and go. Waking, dreaming, deep sleep. You're right, you're on the right track. They come and go. But more important, more important than coming and going is you realize a greater reality be behind them. Why do you say dream is not real? Because you wake up and see the waking is more real than the dream. You feel like that. Then you say dream is, it's a dream. It was imagined in me, the waker. When I was sleeping, I imagined it here. That's why it's unreal. Now when you make the shift to consciousness, you will feel exactly the same way about waking also. What happens is, you wake up from a dream into waking. You wake up from waking into pure consciousness. You say, can you wake up from this into something else? No, this is the one in which all three appear and go. Now, this one, this waking state, it is called a. Uh, this dream state is called oo, and this deep sleep is called mm. And this is the silence. The fourth one is the silence which follows mm. So this is how om is used to understand what we are talking about. All of this is encapsulated in om. Let's do it for just a couple of minutes. I'll guide you through it. When I guide you through it, sometimes you may feel after a long Vedanta class, my mind is just not working. Very good. Just not working mind appears to the consciousness. That's it. You are the consciousness in which the mind is just not working. Okay. <clears throat> we'll chant Om three times. And if you like, you can close your eyes. Chant with me. Imagine your waking world 
you as the waker, with all of the equipment, the sense organs, the motor organs, the mind and intellect and all, dealing with your life, that fades away and a dream world takes its place. You forget that you are sleeping on the bed and then you find yourself in a dream world. You don't recognize it as a dream world. You are there, people are there, things happen, you have bad feelings, good feelings, all of it in the mind. That disappears, blankness. No world to experience, no experiencer. Just the blankness, everything merged in darkness. Deep sleep. All three appearing to you. The fourth. You are neither the waker, nor the dreamer, not even the deep sleeper. You are not the waking universe. You are not the dream universe. You are not the deep sleep blankness. You are the awareness in which they all appear and go. And yet, the waking person and his or her world is nothing but you, the consciousness. Just as the dream person and the dream world are nothing but you, the consciousness. <coughs> and the blankness of deep sleep is nothing but you, the consciousness. When you experience your life, you will experience a total oneness with everybody and everything that you experience and also total detachment. We will chant Om three times. After which, if you like, you can open your eyes.
slowly open your eyes if you like, if you're comfortable. Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu If you think deeply about it, one thing is you will no longer think so much in terms of friends and enemies and strangers. They are all nothing other than you. All of them. And you will not feel so much attached also to anything. Because when the waking state goes away with all its people and all its problems and good things and bad things, nothing has really gone away because it was all you and you are fully there. When a dream goes away, do you feel unhappy? Where did those people go? No, because you realize everybody in the dream was you. Everybody in the dream was you. Nothing has gone away actually. When everybody in the universe goes away, when the entire universe is destroyed in a big crunch or something and all of everything, planets and stars and life are all wiped out, not a single thing has been lost. Because it was all you and you are that. You are still there. Surya, what is the difference between Surya and witness self? Same thing. Oh, same. Ah. Good question. What's the difference between Surya and witness self? What is, normally, what is the self, what we normally common sense think? The knower, pramata. And by doing a lot of Vedanta, you see, I am the witness here. What would be the witness here? It's Turiya. I thought the, the witness self was the beginning step. And yeah. then the consciousness, the pure self would be... Turiya. It's correct. Self. If you complete the whole process of Advaita, you come to Turiya. You're right. If you do something like Drik Drishya Viveka or Aparokshanabhuti, you will see the first step would be take up the knower, analyze the knower, come to the pure consciousness which is the knower. That's step one. The whole known universe is still there. So you have to see the whole known universe has to be merged back into the pure consciousness. Then you reach the Turiyam. But Mandukya Upanishad at one blow. The Turiyam itself appears as knower and known. Knower with 19 mouths, known with 7 limbs. It's neither the knower nor the known. It's Turiyam. It's pure consciousness. That's what you are. Now you imagine you dream yourself. You dream the universe into existence. What a grand view of the human self. It's not even human that way. It's uh, like I say. It's a spiritual being having a human experience. It's not a human being trying to have a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. And also, can uh, this knower and known be classified as microcosm and macrocosm? Perfect. That's exactly true. In uh, Swami Vivekananda has given two lectures in Jnana Yoga, the microcosm and the macrocosm. So the micro microcosm is the knower. The macrocosm is the known. Both of them are none other than you, the Thurium. Macrocosm, universe. Microcosm, you experiencing. You think I'm a little guy experiencing a vast universe. No, you are the infinite consciousness in which the little guy and the vast universe are passing shadows. 
So the knower is the microcosm, which Swami Vivekananda speaks about. Investigate this, you'll come to Thurium. The known is the micro macrocosm. Investigate this, you'll come to Thurium. What basically Advaita says, the reality of the knower and the reality of the known are one and the same thing. The terms used in Vedanta, if the reality of the knower is called Atma. The reality of the known is called Brahman. And Vedanta is Atman is equal to Brahman. Yeah. Okay, that's a very good note on which to end. Thank you.